You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Before we begin, let's just open in prayer, and we'll just ask the Lord to guide us this morning. Father, we do thank you for this privilege of being able to gather together as your children. And Lord, we do praise you and thank you because of your word, what you provided for us. We look to your word, Father, and recognize that it's an absolute standard for our lives, and that we Look for your spirit to bring illumination and the ability also to empower us to obey your word. I just give you thanks this morning, Father, for all those here. And we know that uh, many here have suffered a great deal in many areas of relationships in marriage and family. And I just pray this morning that we would bring hope and encouragement and also a perspective of just who you are and what you've done to provide for this ordination of marriage that you have brought to us. We just give you thanks, ask you to guide us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's look at the account in Scripture, beginning with verse 15 in chapter 2 of Genesis. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now here, God's already created the universe. He's created the earth. He's created the animals, the sea, and all the fish of the sea. And he's also created man. Now, the account has not yet been given of the creation of woman specifically, but it's already been given prior to that. And we'll look at that. What we have is God directing his first command toward his creation. Man. He gave Adam but one command. Now, last week we talked a little bit about Adam as well as Eve. So I asked the question were they born sinless? And the answer, of course, is yes. God created perfect man, perfect woman, without sin. Now, He also created a perfect environment for them. And we recognize that this environment provided all that they needed. They had food, plentiful food, and they had water, and they had the atmosphere, apparently, that they could live in without any harsh weather or temperatures because God had provided everything perfectly at this point. So we go on. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, 
It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. There are seats up here. Funny. And the Lord God caused a sleep, a deep sleep, to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So here we have the first account. So we want to understand what, why would God design and create man and then create woman, and for what purpose? So we have to go to his word to find that out. Now, <clears throat> the statement we have here, where this one statement about marriage, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, God makes this statement of truth, before man had sinned. But this is repeated four times. Once before the fall. And then three other accounts. It's repeated after the fall. In both Matthew, Mark, and Ephesians. So we have four accounts of this one statement on marriage. One prior to the fall. And three after the fall. <clears throat> So the statement reflects the truth that God had designed this marriage and union to be one man to one woman in a monogamous relationship until death do them part. That's God's design. So let's consider some of the purposes of marriage. Why would God design this great union of marriage? Well, he reveals that. In two of the accounts in Genesis, and then one we have in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. Right now, let's stay with Genesis. So the first thing that we see that God has purposed for marriage would be what? Verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is good <clears throat> It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So here we had Adam. He was naming all the animals. He was happy. But when he looked around, he could not find a helper 
comparable to him. In other words, there was no companion for him. And yet he had communion with God. And he was out without sin at this time. So there was no sickness, no difficulties. And yet God had said everything that he created was good. But here is the first time he said it is not good. I'm going to turn that heat off. It's getting a little bit warm in here. Hold on. Sorry, we let that go. So. Should go off in a second. So this is the first account where the Lord God creator says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So here... God shows the first purpose of marriage is companionship. Excuse me. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Companionship is the first reason, or one of the reasons, for God's plan in marriage. Man was to exercise dominion over the animals, verse 128, but soon Adam became aware of his solitude, verse 20 in chapter 2. So God then put Adam to sleep, created Eve from the flesh and bone, his flesh and bone, And God created a helper. Now, this term helper or help meet in the original or King James is not a demeaning term at all. It's often used in scripture to describe the Lord God Almighty as our God of help. It's sometimes translated help. Here we have in the essence of this word is the completion of. God saw that man by himself was incomplete. And so he created woman to be his completion. This is part of the essence of creating the woman. And when we consider that term, a lot of people use the term, well, she's my helper. Well, that's true. But in the true essence of that understanding of what that means is this. Man was incomplete without woman. And the woman, what he lacked, she supplied. The man uh, supplied what the woman lacked. Together, they were complete. God created us as social beings. Now, We'll look later on in this series, in this study, that not all people get married. Some are called to singleness. And yet, we're still social beings. God didn't create man to go off somewhere and become uh, an isolationist. 
And many have tried that and suffered much emotional and mental harm as well as spiritual. God never intended us. We're social beings and we're to live amongst other people. But here, the specific area of God's creation was that of marriage. He is giving us the original blueprint for his design for marriage. Now, man, at that time, being sinless, their unity was triune. And by that, I mean they had a relationship with each other. They individually had a relationship with God. And then, as a couple, had communion, perfect communion with God. And that's the way God intended it. He wanted his creation, his people, to love him, honor him, and love each other in complete obedience to his word. So we have the complete unity of man and woman shown in this small portion of uh, Genesis. When we think of instruction regarding headship or submission and authority, that was not yet even considered. Why would that be? They were sinless. No problem. They didn't argue. And uh, we'll look later of what this means to be naked and not ashamed. Uh, there was no viewing or looking uh, in a sinful way or degrading way at another. They had perfect communion with God and they were in purity of heart. There was no degrading of one another. They exalted God through their relationship. So God graciously provided a companion companion for Adam, though they had animals and there were also angels above. Yet man, uh, who could commune with Jehovah God, was still given a companion. So God created us to be social beings. God said that it's not good for man to live alone and evidence is that of creating a woman. Well, let's consider that of marriage, which is also part of God's design here for mankind. One of the purposes God created woman was to be a helpmate, a helper like him, it says in the original uh, that means of the same nature, of the same rank, they are above the animals. God created man above the animals, and yet, for a time, lower than the angels. So they were created equal, and this was done on the sixth day of creation. Though we have the account given later, just before the seventh day of rest. God made male and female. I want to make a, uh, give you a quote from Matthew Henry, who I have a high regard for. He said this in regards to the creation of man and woman. I want you to bear with me, because if you only listen to half of it, you may get bristled. Listen to the whole thing. That Adam was first formed, and then Eve, 
And she was made of the man and for the man, all which are urged there as a reason for humility, modesty, silence, and particularly the subjection and reverence which wives owe their husbands. Good, huh? You want the rest of it? Okay. Okay. Here comes the good part. Yet man, being made last of the creatures, as the best and most excellent of all God's creation, Eve, being made after Adam and of him, puts an honor upon that sex as the glory of man. If man is the head, she is the crown. A crown of her husband, the crown of the visible creation. And as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 11:7, woman is the glory of man. So that's the perfect essence of God's perfect design. There was no chauvinism here. That came after the fall. So as we see God's perfect creation and we look at mankind, God created man in his own image and likeness. What does that mean? What's that mean when God says he created us in his image and likeness? We're not spiritual beings, not here on this earth. So what likeness would we have to the Lord God creator? Um, good question. Our soul is eternal. Uh, we will spend eternity either with God in eternity or separated from him in eternity. But that's not what I'm looking for here. In his image and likeness, God is a spirit being. Carol. We were. Yes. Okay. There's a good point. God created man perfectly. Sinless. Without sin. And yet, the commutable attributes of God are put upon man, or given to man, as the likeness of God. Now, that was before the fall. The only way we have those commutable attributes at this point is in... Christ and being filled with the Spirit. So the commutable attributes, that is not the attributes of God's deity. No one has that place except God. But the attributes of love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, goodness, patience, all those moral attributes were given to man at the creation. They were destroyed at the fall and can only be lived out as we are in Christ and we are filled and walking by the Spirit. I 
didn't mean it in that sense, but uh, there's no evidence that there was any communion with the angels because it's only revealed that God spoke with Adam and they were in communion and communication one with another. But there's no evidence that I am aware of that they were in some kind of communion with angels. I just stated that the angels were created above man. So he had a specific uh, elevated essence over the animals. That's how I was trying to define it so that we can see we have animals, then mankind, and then the angels that God created. All of God's creation. So we have the ability to understand that God created man to mirror his image and his moral attribute. So this was a completion. They can complement each other in areas where they're lacking. They can serve the Lord as a couple. They can pray together. They can experience a love relationship, which, by the way, no one outside of Christ can experience. You understand that? Because outside of Christ, we do not have the ability to be able to exercise the fruit of God's Spirit. So the world, even though God has standards for marriage, they're incapable of attaining those standards. But in Christ, we can. So that's the first reason reason for marriage. That's part of God's design, and that was for companionship. The second is given to us in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 1. So let's back up just a little bit and see the second reason. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and of every living thing that moves on the earth. So the second purpose is given to us right here. And that is procreation. Now, when God created man and created woman, could he not have just created the whole human race right then or any time, right? There's no limit to what God could have done. But he chose not to. He created one man, one woman, out of which the entire human race would be fathered. So that was a second purpose that God had for marriage. God made the union between the man and woman with the ability to bear children. The children are born out of that marriage relationship of love and the bonds of marriage. God will sometimes withhold children for his purposes, sovereign providences, which we don't know. But as far as God's purpose in marriage, one of them is procreation, that of the continuance of the human race. God said that the marriage was very good, and God saw that all that he had, and behold, it was very good. 
And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So the culmination of his creation was perfect. And the final portion of his creation was that of bringing a companion to Adam. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us understanding of this as an additional reason. So let's uh, hold your place in Genesis, but move, if you would, over to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is another area of revelation that God gives us for the purpose of marriage. We have companionship, procreation, and here, this, we have, it's a spiritual picture of Christ and the church. Chapter 5, looking at verses 30 and 31 and 32. For you are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here, somehow, what we have, which the old covenant did not have or was not revealed, was that of the picture of Christ and the church. Christ being the husband and the church being the bride of Christ. So this characterizes in a spiritual likeness of the marriage between God and his people, the church. So that's another revealed reason from scripture that God gives us for the purpose of marriage. Yes, Thomas. This may be heretical, so bear with me. This is not heretical to me, but there, woman was made to be a companion to man. Was mankind made to be a companion to God? Did God have, but man had a need. He was lonely. He wanted something else, and God provided woman. Here's where the heresy comes in. <laughs> Did God create mankind because he had a need. No. I, I, I realize. Hang on. <laughs> so, I mean, the point, though, is I want to make some clarification of that. Okay, good. The question, if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, God created man and then woman for companionship. In other words, was it God's purpose or intent to fill his need? Am I hearing that? Okay. No, it was not. Man was created because God has no need for anything. God is complete in his own essence. He is perfect and absolute and complete. He needs nothing to be more complete. He is lacking nothing to be made more perfect. He did create man to, for the purpose of bringing glory to himself. Now, as we study these... Did he lack glory? No. No, he's perfect. Something motivated God to create man for his glory. Yeah, it was his sovereign plan. Before the foundation of the world. 
and for his reasons to bring glory to himself. He didn't need more glory. He was the essence of glory. He is the essence of glory. So we look at the creation and God predestined all his creation and all that we have before the foundation of the world. And ultimately, all of his creation, including man's uh, destiny, which is that of judgment for sin and righteousness, which will bring, bring glory to God. When God brings judgment for those who rejected him, who will be judged for their sin and cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, that brings glory to God. Why? Because of his attributes. He's holy and he's just. He's also merciful. So those that he provides salvation, those that receive his perfect redemption plan and believe, those are the called, those will glorify him as well. And the angels will marvel. Good question. Does that answer it? Yes. Okay. So, uh, as we look at this next portion here in a brief way of uh, God showing this as a picture of Christ in the church, a Christian marriage is to be loving, holy, pure, self-sacrificing, and mutually submissive. That manifests and characterizes the relationship of Christ and his church. There's some seats up here. As we think of this, in Revelations 21.9, it's there referred to as the bride, the lamb's wife. Speaking of Christ and the church. Isn't that a beautiful rendering? A husband's greatest motive for loving and purifying and protecting and caring for his wife is Christ's love. Purifying and protecting and caring for his own bride as Christ cares for the church. See the parallel? Now, some of this to us, we think, wow, this is pretty, uh, is this some kind of uh, imagery or picture? No. God created it to be so. God created man and woman to live in complete Union with one another and perfect union with God. So the aspect of the fall throws everything into chaos. And so we're going to examine that, how, how things can be brought back into the place where God originally designed them to be. <clears throat> the relationship between Christian husbands and Christian wives is related to the sacred relationship between Christ and his beloved church. Because of this great sacredness, Paul said this, Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. The use there of this word, nevertheless, which is clean, 
in the original is intended to end that discussion and emphasize what the most essential portion of that text is. Yes, Don. What is meant by his church? No, good question. The question is, what is meant by his Christ church? Christ church is this. All those that place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Each one of those is a member of the body of Christ and they are members one of another. So those of you here that are believers, we are members one of another. We are closer than blood relationship, unless blood relationship is believers. So, good question to answer it. Okay. Good. I'm glad you brought that out. (laughs) To clarify my study a little bit. Okay, good. So we have companionship, procreation, and the picture, spiritual picture, of the relationship between church and Christ, the marriage. So let's consider, uh, let's look at the original couple just for a little bit. For this cause, man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife We're both naked and not ashamed. Does anyone here, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 2. Verse 24. Anyone here have quotations on that text in their Bible? Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Is there a quotation there? I don't think you'll find one. Unless you have an aberrant Bible. (laughs) So, this brings us to a question, and uh, we have to look at this a little bit more in a theological perspective. Moses penned the book of Genesis. Now, this may not be a quote that God quoted to Adam and Eve. However, Moses was inspired to pin this. Because if we think about it, who was Adam and Eve's father? God created them. It was their father. They did not have a human father or mother. They were the first of creation. So in this text, uh, when we look at this, this may have been the in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Moses penned this. It may not been have been a direct quote. We can't say emphatically, but that may be so. doesn't matter either way. God has it there for us for the design for marriage. So the implication is that marriage involves one male, one female to become One flesh. There's a foundational guideline here. 
And let's consider it. Let's break it down. Man shall leave his father and mother. If you want to highlight that and write in your margin severance. You sever that relationship. You don't sever the love relationship that you have with your parents. But you're no longer under their authority because now you've formed your own union of family. You still respect, love, commune with your parents, but they're severed from out from under the parental authority. And that's what the essence of that is. Some look at it and say, oh, well, we're sure glad to get out from them. That's not the attitude. The attitude is your loving relationship with your parents, always revering them. That's, that's a command from Scripture. But we're severing ourselves or their selves from the authority of the parents. Ron? Good. That's a good addition. We are to continue to honor our parents, but we're leaving that authority and forming our own union in marriage. And she'll cleave to his wife. Now, this is something I, I really love this word. It has the idea of permanence. And uh, I'd like to perhaps use a physical illustration here. When I test out a new type of wood joint or perhaps a new type of glue, I will test it by forming the joint and gluing the joint together. And when I glue the joint together, I'll clamp it and give it plenty of time to cure. I'll usually go 24 hours. Proper temperature, proper conditions. Then I'll come out. And I'll put part of that joint in a vise. Then I'll take a 20-ounce hammer and I'll try to break that joint apart. If it's good glue and a good joint, what will happen is the joint won't come apart, the glue won't break, but the wood will actually tear the fiber apart. That's the picture that we have here. What God has joined together, let no man separate. The idea of cleaving to our wives is that of permanence. The next one, and they shall become one flesh. This is the unity and beauty of marriage, the perfect union of man and woman in marriage is unity. And intimacy. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There was the essence of no demeaning of the other. There was a perfect relationship. No ridicule. No making fun of or demeaning their spouse. That's what the idea of not being ashamed was. They had a perfect love for one another. They edified, built up one another. This is the, if you would, four essence of this one verse. Severance, permanence, unity, and intimacy. God gives us this perfect union in marriage as he designed it. 
So as we consider these four guidelines, we would have to be a little bit careful to avoid looking at it as uh, in a mechanical manner. In other words, four steps to marital uh, harmony. Never look at Scripture as a formula. When we consider the precepts of Scripture, we go to the Lord, we go to his word to find out how does this flesh out? How do we truly enact or partake or obey these principles? And in this case, we could go to the words of Solomon. In Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, Proverbs 23, verses 3 and 4, he said this, By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, just a reading of that verse, we'd think, okay, house is built by understanding, and it's established by knowledge, and the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. So if I have knowledge, and I establish the house with this knowledge and understanding, I'm going to be filled with riches and precious things. That's what it looks like. But if we look at the original meanings of some of these Hebrew words, it changes the essence of this text. Let's look at it. There's a, the verbs built, established, filled. These are all words that uh, suggest action or progress and change. The first word built comes from the word, the Hebrew term, meaning to restore. So as we think of that, it has the idea of rebuilding something that flourishes as good as the original. So it's clear that a home can be restored. This is a great hope, no matter what condition it's in. Those that may have a troubled relationship, this is the essence that that has the ability to be restored. Some of you here are builders and work in the trades. Uh, I love restoring things. Old tools. I'll take a tool that most likely is going to be thrown away and I'll start from scratch. I'll study the tool, look at the original uh, view of a photo or a drawing that I can find and I'll start tearing it apart. I'll remove the rust, polish it down to the original metal and I mean polish it. I'll take whatever wood portions there are, strip it, restore it. I'll take the working parts, blades or any of the apparatus of a, say, a wood plane, and I'll put them in all as perfectly as I can to the original condition. Now, to somebody at the flea market, it was in a box, it was solid rust, it wasn't worth anything. I look at it, and I, I see a finished product. Here we have a promise of how God restores relationships. By wisdom, the house is built. And by understanding, it is established. So as we have this idea of restoration or rebuilt, we have to understand that with God, it's never too late or without hope. 
But it isn't making clear that any home can be restored, is it? Yes. But it isn't automatic. What we need, the first thing, wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? From God, from his word. We need God's wisdom to establish. Now, establish means to set an order or place in a, an upright position. Something that is falling or something that's twisted. Uh, we have to have understanding how to put things back in order. If I were to take one of those planes and it was in pieces and rusted, if I didn't have an idea how that went back together, it would be a, kind of a vain work. It would be to not, really. I mean, I'd be there with a bunch of empty parts or rusty parts. Yes, Dave. Right. That's a that's the good point that we bring in with permanence. The world says, you know, if it doesn't work out, uh, you know, give up and try it again. Uh, if you go to a place like downtown Los Angeles, hope you don't have to ever do that. But um, I shouldn't say that. My son's down there. So. They have uh, jewelry stores that rent wedding rings. <laughs> so, you know, we laugh at that, but that's the essence. When we look at the culture in Rome... Do we understand what the Roman culture was like? Those of you who were back in Romans 1 when I did the introduction to Romans, that culture was riddled. It was filled with divorce. It was filled with adultery. It was filled with immorality and homosexuality. That was the essence of the Roman Empire. So man has turned so far from God's standards that he feels that, oh, well, you know, whatever makes me feel good. So if it's ending, then that's what we'll do. That's not what God's called us to. So as we get to the third, each room is filled. That means overflowing. And the idea here is not filled with things not talking about material things at all. What it has is that of fulfillment. Our homes, our relationships will be abundantly filled with satisfaction. So knowledge allows this to happen. The precious, uh, excuse me, precious and pleasant riches, things that make life meaningful, not material things but things that are meaningful. Like positive attitudes, good relationship, pleasant memories, mutual respect, depth of character. 
These things cannot be destroyed, though a home may burn to the ground. You can't take anything away from that nucleus of a family that's united in Christ and living for Christ. So, that's the way God designed it before the fall. Then we have the effects of the fall. What was the first thing that happened when man sinned? God called to Adam and said, where are you? Adam replies, "Uh, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Why would that be? Why would he hide from the Lord God Almighty? Because God had given him one command. He disobeyed that command and entered into the knowledge of good and evil. He now understood sin and he feared God. So he tried to hide from an almighty, ever-present, omniscient God. So the first result of man's disobedience resulting from sin was he feared God. He hid himself. Because now Adam was aware of evil and he was also aware of his nakedness. He disobeyed the one prohibition, the one commandment the Lord God had given him. Second consequence of sin. Did he acknowledge his sin? I did disobey you, God. Did he say that? No. Rather than acknowledge his sin, what's the first thing that Adam did? It was that woman you gave me, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Fallen man. He cannot take responsibility for his sin. First thing he does, point the finger at Eve and say, it's her. It's the one you gave me. So ultimately, he's pointing to God. He was blaming God. You gave her to me. I mean, I never would have done that. I mean, it was her fault. I mean, I was just walking along, enjoying the day, and all of a sudden she comes up to me and says, Hey, this tasted... You see? He wanted to put all that on his wife and then point at God. Blaming God because the Lord God Creator provided him. With this companion. Doesn't stop there. Eve says this. The Lord asked her, what have you done? Eve's response. That serpent. That that serpent deceived me. What do they do? What? Is that ever carried over in our lives? Do we ever have? The occasion to shift blame rather than taking full responsibility? Shameful to say. We all do. I do. Starts with the infants. Yep. Put them in a room by themselves. Bring a little, another little baby in. They got a toy identical. Pretty soon, one baby's got two toys identical. <laughs> It's inherent. It's the sin nature. So here is the first evidence of it. Shifting blame and trying to cast dispersity on the other. 
We're going to stop here because we're going to see some excellent biblical understandings of what happened back there and how that impacts men and women today, impacts women and men today. So we'll stop here and believe me, next week uh, we're going to cover some areas that I'm not going to warn the guys when not to come here because I know that we'll have half a class when I start dealing with the essence of man's role, but I'm going to try to be encouraging to men to be brave and bold. That's warning enough for me. Okay. Before we close, I want to remember um, Don is going into surgery Tuesday, open heart surgery. Please, please keep him in prayer. Uh, he won't be able to have visitors at first, so check with Judy before they allow visitors. But please do keep him in prayer until uh, bring him home safe here. Also, we want to remember uh, the Smith family. Myrna passed away this Thursday night. And Al and Myrna, Marna, excuse me, Marna Smith. And Marna was here last Sunday. I talked to her. Marcia talked to her. Many of you uh, conversed with her. She was fine. Monday went shopping. Tuesday, things started digressing. She went to the hospital and from there went downhill. So the funeral for her, or not the funeral, but the memorial service will be held at Lakeview Chapel on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. That will probably be announced again, but let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and we'll close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this vivid and clear picture of your design for marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you've Preserve this for all eternity, for all your children to understand and know the purposes that we have in this life, in relationships, in marriage, and how to live to your glory. We just ask now that you guide us and bless us. We pray for Don as he uh, goes into the surgery for guidance to the surgeon and a quick recovery. And we just praise you and thank you that we can call upon you for these things. We pray for the Smith family that you grant them comfort and encouragement and peace. And we just give you thanks, Lord, for what you're going to do. We ask now a blessing on the service to follow. And we just give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.